Well, it's uh, good to see you today, and welcome to this new year that we have, 2013. Uh, bet you thought we wouldn't get here. Yeah, but we did. The Mayans were wrong. We all know it now, and uh, they're, they're hanging their head in shame. But uh, we're here together, and that's, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, John and Chris are in China right now, so uh, we pray for them. I'm sure they're, they're kind of watching online and seeing what's going on. I had a great conversation this week with another pastor who was interested in uh, launching an influence church in Detroit, Michigan. And so uh, God is doing just exactly what we kind of suspect he would do, and that is spontaneously moving by his spirit to do what he wants to do. Sometimes it's so hard for us to step back and let God do things. Think about your own life and think about how many times you want to you pressure God or you want to say, God, why aren't you doing this? And God says, I'm working and, I, and I've got a schedule that I'm working with. And I'm going to do great and mighty things in your life and in your time. Um, but just be patient with me and let me work in a marvelous way. And so I, I think a lot of us, we didn't really conceive of, if you've been here on this long journey of now 10 months, you didn't really know what it would look like, didn't know it would look like this, don't know what it'll look like tomorrow, but the Holy Spirit of God does. And God knows exactly what He wants to do in you and how the best way to accomplish that task will be performed. And I, I in my own line, I want to lay a template over and say, God, no, this is how you're going to work. God says, no, I, just trust me, I know exactly what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And I don't know about you, but I like to hold on to things. And God likes to pull things out of my hands. You know, as we think about the journey we're on, I want to give you a, a wilderness report. And here's the first thing I want you to think about. God uses the wilderness to fine-tune your skills. God uses the wilderness to fine-tune your skills. You've heard me talk about my hatred for camping. Anybody love camping here? Raise your hand. You love camping. Well, one of the reasons I hate camping is I used to go up to Long's Peak in Colorado and we'd hike up to the base of Long's Peak there in the wintertime. We'd snowshoe in. You see why I hate camping? <laughs> you understand it now, right? And the first time I went, I went with a guy who said he knew exactly how to do everything in winter camping. We just about drowned. We got the, the, t the tent was just full of water. We were freezing to death. Nothing. We couldn't light anything. We couldn't have started a fire if we wanted to. And I got done, and I'm, now I've got a snowshoe back. And if you've ever walked in snowshoes, you know, you've got to walk like you're from an old western. You're walking like this all the time. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Why do people do this? And there is a taste in that camping that I don't like. And yet, you know what? I did it again. And I kept doing it, and I kept going up, and, and we'd go up to the base, and I got to where we were pretty good at it, and I liked it. I don't like it now. I'm not going back, but I liked it. But what happened was, in the wilderness, I learned how to fine-tune my skills. Now, I could have spent my whole day complaining and griping in the tent. I could have not learned. I could have not listened. And yet I forget the principle of the potter that God takes me down and He begins to shape the, the, the pot according to His own pleasure, not mine. And every difficulty you have, every struggle you have, it is the potter shaping your life after the image of Almighty God. And He wants you to fine-tune your skills. 
because he wants to use those skills in the days ahead for his glory and for his honor. And you cannot be used in the kingdom of God if you step back and want a consumer kind of Christianity. If you want everything to just be right and everything to just work and you don't want any frustrations and you don't want it to be too hot or too cold in an auditorium. You don't want the music to be too loud or too soft or you don't want to play those songs or another song. That's consumerism. This is not about us. Church was never about us. It was about Him. It's about the glory of Almighty God. And we get caught up in thinking this is about us. It's not. God said, focus on me and everything will be okay. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the emphasis. And God will take care of the rest. That is our mission, to focus on Almighty God, to be consumed with the majesty of his greatness and the glory of his splendor, to be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit in all the things we do. Second wilderness report is this. Gifts and talents are released when you cooperate with the Spirit of God. The most often question I get is, how do I find the will of God? I said the will of God is simple. It's the plan of God that's difficult. The will of God is that you're conformed to the image of Christ. That's God's will for every one of us. Focus on that and the plan will be revealed. But you see, if you don't, if you don't allow to yourself to cooperate with the Spirit of God, you'll never understand the talents and the gifts that God wants you to do. You'll never see the purpose that God has before you. Because you're so caught up with you, you, me, me. I love that country western song. I heard it again. It's been around a, a long time, and he's singing it back to his girlfriend. He says, you know, you know, enough about you. Let's talk about me, about number one, about I. You know, and I thought, I left it, listened to that, and I thought, I dated a girl like that in college one time. That's all she talked about was her. And I didn't marry that girl, by the way, just so you I want to clarify everything, because I know my wife is tuning in on the other theater. And, uh, but no, I, I said, enough of that. And God, I wonder if sometimes God says, let's talk about me. Let's talk about I. Let's talk about number one. Let's talk about God Almighty. Let's draw our circle around him and enjoy the presence of Almighty God. Here's the third part of this wilderness report. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. I love it when people are quoting that back to me. Several times now I've been in a situation where I've, I'm having lunch or having dinner. I'm just in a social environment. And somebody will say, well, how's it going? And I'll say, well, we're trying to make our way through this. And they'll look at me and they'll kind of smile and they'll say, well, you can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. I think, oh, yeah, it's coming back to haunt me. I can see it already. <clears throat> Let me talk to you a little bit about the book of Exodus. We're in the book of Exodus. We've been in it now for 34 weeks. It centers around four great events. Event number one, the Passover. <clears throat> we started with the Passover <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, it is this picture of redemption. It is the lamb that is slain for the sins of mankind. You can't progress in your Christian life unless you progress through, first of all, the Passover or redemption. The next great event is the crossing of the Red Sea. Leaving the Pharaoh, leaving Satan, 
leaving bondage. You enter in to the wilderness journey with God where God begins to shape you after his image. Forty years they were in the wilderness. Forty years they had to listen and feel and sense and react to what God was doing in their midst. Third great event was the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And it was there that Moses went up on the mountain and he got the, the ten words or the ten uh, commandments as we call them. And it was there they understood something was wrong with them. That they couldn't live by their own direction. They had to live by the direction of God himself. And when they failed at it and God's frustration came out and said, what am I going to do with this people? And Moses was frustrated and they, they created this golden calf. They said, why do we need that God Aren't the gods of Egypt better? How many times do we prefer sometimes the gods of Egypt versus the true God? And the fourth great event in the book of Exodus is the building of the tabernacle, and that's what we're talking about today. And we're going to focus in on a really interesting kind of a guy because uh, we're going to see in Exodus chapter 31 a man who had a skill given by God. He's actually the first man in Scripture that's said to be filled with with the Spirit of God. He's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not a teacher. He's none of those things. He is simply a man like every other man who is used by God. In Exodus 31, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Got any pizza? like a bucket line coming up here. I love this place. See, I have called him by name. Do you know that God calls you by name? I want everyone right now just to say your name softly out loud. Just say it right now. God's saying that back to you. See, God calls you by name. Every one of us, he calls by name. He says, I have called him by name, Beziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. God wanted Moses to make sure as he recorded the sacred words that he understood exactly who he was talking about. Not just any Beziel, not just any person there, but no, I have something for this man. And God says the same thing to you and to me. I have something for this man and for this woman, for this boy and for this girl. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. And here things begin to get interesting because God is filling him with the Spirit to give him the creative ability, to release the creative ability that God wrote into his very program of life that he might construct the tabernacle after the true tabernacle in heaven. It says here, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. This past week, Tammy referred to our new office and, and that group of guys that came up and they started putting things together and cutting things. And I'm over there watching them cut 
these holes and this corrugated metal were putting up on the walls, and I'm thinking, how in the world are they ever going to get the hole in the right place? Because how many guys here know what I'm talking about? Man, sometimes I have to just go buy more wood to get the hole right. I've just butchered it up so much, or, you know, I said, well, we really don't need it anymore, and, and yet God takes some people and He gives them skills. And some don't teach, and, and some don't preach, and some can't sing. But God has a purpose for every single person in this room and every person in this world. You see, Beziel was placed in that generation as that was the generation that would need him. In a similar fashion, you have been placed within this generation to achieve some great design by God Almighty. This generation needs you. This church needs you. The people around you, they need you. They need more than just your presence. They need the skill that God has woven into who you are as a person. You see, God speaks. And that's the first thing we need to be reminded of there in verse 1 is God is a speaking God. God speaks audibly sometimes. But most of the time, the way God speaks to me is through His Word and by His Spirit in my heart. You see, God has a special task and a special role for everyone to play in his kingdom. And right now, under your breath, you ought to be saying something like, thank you, God, that you have a role and a place for me in your kingdom. You may not know what it is at this point, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because God is a speaking God. You may not feel worthy. You may not be able to define your place. But be assured, God is not going to let you go through life without revealing his purpose for your life. As long as you're hungry, as long as you want, as long as you seek after God, you'd be surprised what God can do and what God can say. When you begin to to cooperate with the Spirit of God, you begin to enter in to the divine blueprint that God has etched into your DNA from before you were born. You know God has a blueprint for you? God has a plan for you. You're not just one of another six billion people on planet Earth. As you begin to move in the rhythm of God's plan, you'll begin to see doors open that you did not expect. You'll begin to see opportunities unfold that you wonder about. You'll begin to hear the voice of God. Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 10, and he said this, My sheep hear my voice doesn't say some of my sheep it says my sheep hear my voice you see you can hear the voice of god right now right where you sit under your breath in your heart you could say something like this spirit of god speak to me through this message speak to me through your word let me know let me hear let me perceive what you are doing in my life i need to hear from you god I've been hearing from me, I've been hearing from someone else, I've been hearing from this world system, but I need to hear from you because God speaks. You see, the blueprint is revealed with timing. You know, sometimes it's not a matter of of God's unwilling to show you what he has for you. Sometimes it's simply that the timing is not yet. God has a reason. Sometimes God will just wait. I mean, even his own son, the Lord Jesus, was not birthed into his public ministry until he was 30 years old. Think about that. 
At 12, we have a sense in Scripture something was going on because he stayed back there at the temple and his parents said, where have you been? And he said, I must be about my father's business. I thought, what an unusual 12-year-old. He was, something was resonating inside there, but the full release would not come until he was 30 years old. Oftentimes, that blueprint is revealed in circumstances. It takes enough friction. It takes enough difficulty. It takes enough problems to bring out in you what God wants to release through you. And you don't see that. You just see him as difficulties and struggles and hardships in your life. No, that's not it at all. God is working that to release his divine blueprint. And then there's a favor that comes. Sometimes a favor comes. You say, where did that come from? It comes from God. It comes in his own time, in his own way. A lot of things we look as difficulty, God sees as favor. No, I loved you, that's why I did that for you. My son loves to tell the story of the lawnmower and how I, I used to go out and make him mow lawn and then I charged him rent on the lawnmower. 10%, whatever you bring in, I get 10% for equipment charge. They love that story now and they tell that story and it becomes some of the shaping of their character a responsibility that they assumed as a child, as an 11- and 10-year-old child. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 11, it, it talks a little bit more about this, but let me give you a couple of things to, to also hone in on. Availability. Are you available to the Spirit of God? Are you available? Are you saying, Holy Spirit of God, Holy Spirit of God, use me. Speak to me. And then when you hear him speak, listen to him. You ever been somewhere in a crowd and God just whispered something? You, you were sure it wasn't him, but it sounded like him. And he said, speak to that person about their soul. And you said, hear God? There'll be a better time. Pray for that person. Well, I'll get around to that, God, and you never do. See, availability means being spontaneous as the Spirit of God is spontaneous. He's speaking for a reason. He's trying to get your attention in that moment for a specific reason. The kingdom works on a very, very exact timing. And we want to be cooperating with what he's doing. And then, of course, there is the Holy Spirit himself. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to get us out. We can't afford to think thoughts that aren't God's thoughts. We can't afford to walk in our spirit apart from his spirit. We have to be available and filled with the Spirit of God. Listen to what it says in Exodus 1.11, and we see some of the history of, of what God was doing with this people of Israel. They're in bondage, and it says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict, afflict them with their burdens. That doesn't sound like a very nice thing for God to do. You ever wondered and thought, I don't think God is very nice sometimes. I've thought that. But God, if you were nice, you wouldn't do that. God, if you were a gentleman, you wouldn't do that. God, if you loved me, you wouldn't do that. And I don't understand some of what God is doing. And he, he's got Israel, he's putting him through these difficulties. Why does he put him in the middle of Egypt? What did they do there? They built Egypt. They constructed pyramids. They carved stone. They grew to hate the gods they carved. They got fed up with the opulence, the affluence, 
and the slavery of Egypt so they could worship the true God. They also developed a skill. Look what else it says. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pethom and Ramesses. They built these cities. God had a guy back there named Beziel, and he was watching, he was listening, and he was taking his skill. And why am I using my skill to build these monuments to these gods that are no gods at all? God says, I have a reason and I have a purpose. And I will use that in the days ahead. You watch and see what I do with you, but you have to be careful and be a good listener in the process. In Exodus chapter 12, we fast forward a few chapters now and we find these words in verses 35 and 36. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. What a ridiculous request. The slaves are coming to the slave owners. Give us your gold. Give us your silver. Give us your jewels. Give us your bronze. Give us everything you have that's worth anything. And notice what it says in verse 36. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they granted them whatever they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Now God had a way of softening up the ground. Did you remember that? The ten plagues? I mean, you flood my house with frogs, I'll give you whatever you want if you promise to get the frogs out of the house. Flies are coming in, and then they're going, you know what? Death of the firstborn. Okay, I give up. What do you want? What do you want? I'm done with all this. I can't handle any more of this. But you see, God was working. First, he was getting their skill. First, he was getting them frustrated with the gods that they had. You've got to get frustrated with this world before you can really love the world that is to come. You've got to really get frustrated with the gods of this world before you can love the true God. You've got to realize that your way of doing it is not working. It's just not working. If just going through the motions and living a good life is your goal, then you are on track with a lot of people in this world. But if your goal is to make an imprint for the kingdom of God, you've got to be a listener. You've got to be focused in on God and get a hold of God's blueprint for your life. You see, God calls. He not only speaks, but God calls. Beziel was born a slave. He lived as a slave, but he was redeemed and he was released. You were born a slave. You lived as a slave. Don't live any longer as a slave. Live as a child of God who is called and set apart by God. You see, the Holy Spirit is very careful to to set out the heritage of Beziel here. He tells us, first of all, he's of the nation he's in. He's in the nation of Israel. Then he's of that tribe of Judah, that that tribe that Jesus would come from. And then we learn that his grandfather was a guy named Hur. Do you remember him? Seems like a bad name for a guy, Hur. Some of you will get that about Thursday. (laughs) Grandfather was Hur. Do you remember Hur? He was one of the ones that held up Moses' hands in the battle. When Amalek warred with Israel and when, when, when Moses had his hands outstretched, that Hebrew word yada, which means praise, it's the root of it, is the word Judah, yada. Some people say, I don't raise my hands. Well, it's biblical. Yada means the thrust forth of the hands. 
to give God praise. And when, when Moses' hands were, were outstretched and he was saying, it's you, God, it's not me. It's not me putting my hand on something. It's me putting my hand on you, God. And when I stretched my hands out, but Moses' hands grew weary and her was there to uplift his hands. That was Beziel's grandfather. And then there was Yuri. He was from Russia. <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? Yuri. It was from the Russian stock of the Jews. Well, maybe not. But Yuri, he was the grandson of Caleb. Caleb. Remember the spies went into the land? Look at the heritage that's in this man, Beziel, who's not a preacher. He's not a priest. He's a worker with his hands and crafts the tabernacle of Almighty God. You see, your heritage with God makes a difference in generations to come. The way you live your life, the way you watch God, the way you pray, the way you serve, the way you make yourself available, you, you may not care about you. Do you care about future generations? Children and grandchildren. I was talking, we, we've got, I don't know how many pregnant women in our church right now it's awesome you know they're just all running around bumping into each other like bumper cars at the local local you know amusement park it's hilarious and i was talking to one of the guys i was talking to dave a minute ago and i said uh, i said you're i know you're getting close you're getting excited and he looked all refreshed and that'll all change he won't look refreshed he'll be uh, what i yeah i have to work more hours today babe i can't get home in time i said but let me tell you something about grandchildren they're better people than children. They're just better people. I don't know why. I don't know what happens. And so bright. Evident, it's evident that they, you know, brilliant skips a generation. It just, they're better people. I told that to my son the other day. I said, you're, you know, Cruz and Crosby, they're just better people than you. He doesn't fully understand it yet, but he will one day. Beziel was placed in that generation as that is a generation who would need him. You too have been placed in a generation that needs you. You see, there is what I call the law of divine placement. I didn't read this. I made this up last night. Because I realize it's true. Here, Here it goes. Ever wondered why you were born where you were born? When you were born? It really doesn't make sense. Sometimes you can look at your own life and see your own, you know, you know, your prosperity or your health or anything else. You look around the world and you realize that more than half of the world's population lives on less than a dollar a day and you ask yourself, why me? It's a law of divine placement. You're not better. God had a purpose. He placed you where he placed you. He gave you what he gave you for a reason, that you would be a good steward of what you have. Then there is that law of, your, of the divine future. Listen to it. We know this scripture, many of us. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, says God. See, this is the law of your divine future. God has a purpose and a place for you. He says, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's what God says about your future. 
You want to walk in that? You want to receive that into your life? Just begin to say it. God, you have, you have plans for me that are great and wonderful. You have plans to prosper me, and you have a great future for me. Instead, what we do is we operate by some kind of a, a funny kind of a law or a rule of divine disfavor, and we say, you know, I'm just a sinner, and God hates me, must hate me, because my life's going so bad, and nothing's working for me, and you create this divine attraction in the, in the opposite way, and all of a sudden you say, how come all this bad stuff's attracting Because that's all you talk about. That's all you talk about. Proverbs says it this way, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What do you think about? How do you see God sees you. You've got to see your, a, a good view of how God looks at your life. Let me give you a, a scripture from the book of Matthew, chapter 25. It goes like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, like's an important word because it helps you to understand how to relate to this world. He says, so the kingdom of heaven, if you want to know what it's like, it's like a man traveling to a far country. Okay, got the picture? He's traveling to the far country, and he owns some servants. And he delivers his goods to them. He says to his servants, okay, I'm going away. I'm going to a far country. This is God the Father. He says to his children, I'm going away. And as I go away, I'm going to give you something. And I want you to be a good steward of it. And he says to, uh, uh, to one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two. To another, one. And to each, to his own ability. So the guy that got five talents got five talents because he knew what to do with five. He would manage him well if he was smart and he was careful and he was prayerful guy with two he got two because he could handle two guy with one got one didn't there was no hierarchy here to say you're better than no you just this is how you're wired and it goes on to say unto each according to his own ability and immediately he went on a journey god says okay here it is now what are you going to do with it what are you going to do with what i've given you so the guy with five he goes out and he doubles it the guy with two he doubles it guy with one he's a little nervous he goes in the background, backyard and he buries it in the ground because he thinks, what if I lose the one? You've got to remember, he's not concerned. The master's not concerned whether or not you lose the talent. He's concerned that you try to do something with the talent. Well, what if I lose the one? So what? He knew that. If you read the rest of that parable, the whole idea is that God understands risk and reward. Do you think everything that God created has turned out the way he wanted? Look at the world. It's okay. You see, God understands risk and reward in the kingdom. He says, I want to see you do something with what you got. If you only got one talent, then you use it wisely. Don't you dare bury it in the backyard. Don't you dare take my talent that I gave you, my gift, I've woven into you the DNA of your very being and, and just say, well, you know what? I used to do that or I used to do this. Think about how many of you have, have really stepped up and just got involved and done stuff and offered to do stuff and just, you know, I mean, every week I come here, I'm just amazed because guys are getting here at, you know, and gals are getting here at 6, 6.30 in the morning and setting up, getting us ready for this. Setting up, taking down, loading up cars, hauling stuff back and forth. In the early days, we were putting stuff there. Early days, it sounds funny, like we've been doing this 20 years. People had taken, they'd pack up their car before we had a, a container. They'd pack up their car, they'd take it home, put it in their garage, and then they'd use their car all week and then pack it back up and bring it. And some people take their talent 
And all they can do is just kind of show up. God created you more for just showing up. You ought to speak his name. You ought to use the, the kingdom for the glory of God. I love this quote. I'm not sure where it originated from, but it, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. See, God's called every one of us by name. He will equip you. You say, well, I, I don't even know what to do. Don't have to. Just get available. God will use you up. I think about John. I ran into John at, you know, uh, a couple of months ago at the, marriage, at the couple's retreat, and he says, I just want to get involved. And now I see him running around with his tongue hanging out. He's probably going, man, I wish I never would open my mouth. I've got to show up here at 6 o'clock. I've got him on a team that's, that's helping to construct some of the financial things we're doing. And I mean, I'm just thinking, this is good. This is the way God loves it. He loves us to use our talent. And then God fills. I love this scripture there where it says, and I have filled him that is Beziel with the spirit of God. And then he says, in wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And those are three key words that they, they, they're repetitive in the book of Proverbs. When you read Proverbs, you'll see those three words constantly coming up together. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and each one of them representative of each member of the Trinity of God. And he says, but I gave Beziel a little bit more. I gave him this ability to have knowledge in all workmanship. I'm going to see a thing, and I'm going to have a creativity about it, and I'm going to have a skill about it that can only be traced back to God. See, that's why people look at the pyramids and go, how'd they do that? I can't even get my dog in out of the backyard. How do they build a pyramid? You see, because something was behind the scenes that we don't understand. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and workmanship. Lance Wallnau says it like this when he talks about favor. He says, favor is the attraction of God to you that releases an influence through you so that other people are inclined to like, trust, and cooperate with you in the assignment that God gave you. You see, one way you know that you're on track is when you begin to do that thing that God leads you into, and typically it's something you love. All of a sudden, you'll hear people say, well, I, I like that idea. Could I be a part of that? Could I join you in what you're doing? I'll put my hand to that. You see, it is the attraction of God to you that releases an influence through you. That's divine influence. It's a divine attraction that God puts in us by His Spirit. And people start to say something. You go, well, wow, that's amazing. I remember years ago we were in, in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, and we took the tour through the Red Cross Museum. And I wondered, how did the Red Cross start? I didn't know anything about its history, and it had some marvelous walking tour you can take through this building and learn all about how it started. But it started by a Christian, thus the Red Cross. It's a Christian who, who had some time. In those days, they would take bat battles, would be on a hill, and they were very organized. The, uh, the two opposing forces would say, let's meet on such and such a hill, and let's go out there and shoot at each other for a while. That's what surprised the British so much. Well, you know, when they showed up in America, we're hiding behind trees. Oh, heck, this is stupid. I'm not getting out there and getting shot at. Anyway, these battles would get up on a hill and they would, they would stand up in rows and they would aim at each other. And it was just talk about just throwing the dice. Hope I don't get hit today. 
I'd have never made it. Look at me and my 200 and none of your pound business. It paid to be a skinny guy in that warfare. Anyway, saw what was happening there, and people would bring their picnic baskets, and they would enjoy that time. It was like going to the mall. And more people would die from infection, from wounds that would ever die from death from a bullet. And the heart of compassion began to rise up. We have to do something to change this. That was the Spirit of God. That was the Spirit of God taking a circumstance in the right time, in the right place, in the right way to bring about good for mankind. It was the divine thumbprint. Oh, they have the Red Crescent, and they, have, they tried everything in the world to try to replicate what the original purpose of the Red Cross was, but they will never do that because the only true compassion comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the healer of all mankind. He said it all begins with your salvation, and it grows from there. C.H. Spurgeon put it like this. A man is not saved against his will. See, no one can force you into the kingdom, but he is made willing by the operation of the Holy Ghost. See, the Spirit of God begins to stir, and he's stirring in some of your hearts even now. It's operation of the Holy Ghost. A mighty grace which he does not wish to resist enters into a man. All of a sudden, there's a grace, there's an attraction that says, I want God in my life. I can remember that day in my own life where I I was reading Scripture and I didn't know how to come to God, but there was something that was just irresistibly pulling me toward God. And it seemed as though I could not resist God. I didn't know the words to say. I didn't know another Christian to even ask a question of. I prayed the only prayer I knew how to pray, but I was cooperating with what God was doing on the inside. A mighty grace which he does not wish to resist enters into the man and disarms him. Just says, put away all your reasons for not trusting God. That's a divine grace of God. And makes a new creature of him and he, he is saved. That's the work of the Spirit. See, everything that's going to happen of divine importance is going to be a work of the Spirit in your life. And it's everything from salvation to the etching out of the DNA in your life to taking that creative thought, that idea, and saying, I wonder what would happen if. What would happen if I would start to release this in my life? What would happen if I would start to cooperate with the Spirit of God? Let me give you a couple of ideas here on on life application. The first one is this. God's favor follows faithfulness. You see, you can only manipulate and trick so far. But when you are faithful to God, His favor comes. His favor comes. Consistently living faithful for God. And secondly, a great heritage is a gift to all mankind. See, what we're really talking about is your ability to influence generations to come. You can only do that through faithfulness. You can only do that by His Spirit. 
What would happen if you would say, with whatever time I have left, whether you have a lifetime or whether you have 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, what if you said, whatever I have left in life, I want to make an impact for the generations to come, and I need to put aside all my hurt, all my pain, all my excuses, all the stuff that I've been just bathing in. And I need to be true to my calling. Allow the Spirit to fill me and to thrust me forth for the kingdom of God and for generations to come. Let's pray together. Fathers, we pray, we pray like Beziel, who went through the difficulty of crafting those pyramids and those, those storehouse cities of, of Egypt. God, we need to, to be attuned to what we've been through because those circumstances and the timing of God are all for a divine purpose. We pray, God, this morning that the message that you've spoken by your word and by your spirit into our spirits, God, would be well-received that you, God, would just bring to our attention the thought, the idea, the purpose, the plan that you have for each one of us, and we would set aside all obstacles and everything that we keep from really yielding to you and allow you to work right now in our midst. God, we give you praise and we give you glory, and right now we ask you, Spirit of God, to work. Would you just stand with me now as we begin to to worship him? And we allow the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. What is it God's saying to you? And what are you going to release to Him? Remember, it's about Him. It's not about you. It's about Him. It's about giving Him glory and giving Him honor. And we praise you, Almighty God, majestic King of the universe, lover of our souls, compassionate and merciful the designer of our days, the redeemer of our souls and the life that we live. We live for you. We worship you and we praise you. Commit to God today. Worship God in power and in